Welcome to the We Won't Die Wandering podcast. My name is Ryan James. Each episode, I'll be continuing my quest to explore and unpack why so many of us break down in midlife and consider it such a crisis, and how to find and fulfill renewed purpose and meaning in the second half of our lives. Sometimes I'll go it alone and share my own reflections, and others I'll invite guests along to get seriously curious about everything from life, love, business, and beyond. Wake up. Don't die wondering. You've got this. We've got this. Let's do this. Okay, so uh, welcome, people. Welcome back to uh, the We Won't Know Wondering podcast. There's been a little break since the last episode I did. Um, it's Ryan James again, as always. Um, and I think we're up to episode mm. 17. Um, and today I've got another guest on. And I'm really excited about today's guest. I've never spoken to this man, um, but uh, when I set up We Won't Die Wandering, um, and this is news for you as well, James, um, I kind of knew that my thing was going to be around helping people in kind of midlife, partly because I am in midlife and kind of looking for my own kind of sense of direction and meaning and whatnot. And it was a case of, well, how do I, how do I summarize that kind of statement how do i how do i kind of boil it down to a statement which makes sense and i had a book uh which i've got next to me here um and for your reference james no one else is going to see this per se they're just going to listen to our words that's right um but the book is called finding meaning in the second half of life how to finally really grow up (laughs) (laughs) the author author of this book uh is james hollis uh and james is to my understanding, uh, one of the leading uh, Carl Jung psychoanalysts in the world, as far as I'm aware, and anyone who kind of knows of Carl Jung and his work, um, it's kind of a bit of a minefield to kind of wade through and understand it. So it requires other people to kind of really bring it to life and make sense of it and bring it into the modern world. Um, And James's work, I mean, it's... and I'm obviously talking to you, but I'm also talking to those people listening in. Um, it was a real kind of, when I found myself in midlife, and I'm not just talking about right now, I'm talking about kind of maybe a couple of years ago, and I was really wading through the treacle. It's a kind of like, you get a lot of people throw various cliches at you, like this too shall pass, <laughs> which it doesn't when you're wading through the treacle. Um it's a bit of a shock to the system because you've been living your life on relative autopilot and you're just clutching at straws, trying to find rhyme or reason or make sense of what on earth is going on. So when I found your work, James, rather than talking around it as if you're not there, I'll talk as if I'm bringing you into this conversation. Um, I found real solace in the fact that it was it was something that I mean, that, that subline really sums it up for me, how to really finally grow up. And it's like hit me right between the eyes and like, oh, but I thought I was grown up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I, I've kind of got you on now. It's quite, it's quite fitting that I've got you on. I've always wanted you on because, of course, my subline is helping people find renewed purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in the second half of life. So I openly acknowledge, I fully... <laughs> stolen i'm not meaning to, i haven't stolen your work but i've honored your work by saying yes what your what this book is about and what most of your books are around is a really important subject and you've you've you the words you use really nail it for me and i also find myself at this moment in time not just you're being you being someone i've really wanted to speak to and dive in and and pick apart all the works that you've brought to the table but i myself at this moment in time specifically have come full circle, having thought I found renewed purpose, meaning, and fulfillment, and find myself going, ah, <laughs> having a massive existential crisis. So I don't know whether this is going to be an interview just for other people's benefit or entirely for my own. Mm-hmm. Find out. But welcome, James Hollis. Thank you, Ryan. And um, it's a pleasure to be with you. And by the way, you can steal anything you want because the purpose of those books is. Uh, to share the insights of Jung and other deaf psychologists that mm. may be helpful to us. Because mm. if I found them helpful, 
why would I not want to share it with other people? So please steal away. So <laughs> maybe I could set things up a little bit by just sort of getting an overview, if you will, right. of the yeah. sort of terrain. Mm. We have to remember where we start out, tiny, vulnerable, dependent, at the mercy of our environment. And whatever guidance we had, namely our instincts, are quickly overrun by the demands of our environment. Mm. And we survive because we are infinitely adaptable creatures. So we adapt to whatever our environment might be. And we're constantly reading the world to get messages about ourselves and about others and What's the, what's the nature of this game that we're involved in? And what am I supposed to do? Or what am I forbidden from doing? And am, am I myself of value? Am I valued by you? Can I trust you? Can I approach you? Did I just stay away from you? What, what, you know, a thousand messages and a thousand stories. Mm. So we may think as we gain a progressive sense of our own developing bodies and, and social roles and so forth, that we are truly independent beings, but in fact, we're swarming with these kinds of messages mm. throughout our life. And what we don't know is often playing a very large uh, role in the governance of our life, which is mm. one of the reasons why when people have said, where do I start this process? Yeah. I, I would often say, well, let's look at the patterns that you have created. We don't rise every morning and say, well, today I'm going to do the same stupid counterproductive things I've done for decades, maybe, but good chance that I will. And, <laughs> and why? Because I'm in service to those charged clusters of energy that I just a moment ago called stories mm. or interpretations or complexes, as the case may be. And to the degree that they're unconscious or operating independently, they're making the choices for me. They're governing my life. They're maybe eating my lunch, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, generally speaking, all of us tried very early, and I would include myself in this uh, mm -hmm. assemblage, to say, all right, what is asked of me? What, is my, what do my parents want? What does a school teacher want? What do my playmates want? What does the partner want? What does the uh, employer want? And to try to, to meet those expectations and demands. And so we build a kind of provisional life, if you will. Hmm. Change your circumstances, change your internal stories. And, you know, what would come out of that would be somewhat different, if not quite a bit different. Hmm. So um, you play those roles in good faith in most cases. And if that were the end of the story, and if a person were driven over by a, a, a lorry on his 30th or 35th birthday or 40th even, you might say, well, he had a short life, but a productive life. Here's his resume. Here is what this person achieved and, and so forth and so on. But had that person ever come to a sense of his own journey as opposed to responding to these very legitimate expectations and pressures that we all have in, in life? And in my profession, which is as a, as a psychoanalyst, Jungian psychoanalyst, um, of course, we don't want to see anyone suffer. But on the other hand, it's the presence of our psychopathology, namely what it is that's agitating from within, mm. that gets our attention, calls yep. us to accountability, yep. and forces us to ask, if I've done all the right things, why is it not feeling right inside? Why don't I have that sense of purpose and well-being that I'm supposed to have? Bingo. You know, did I did I affiliate with the right person? Did I choose the right career? I mean, these are the venues in which people bring these questions, of course. Yeah. But as important as those outer realities may be, underneath all that's the question: well, what, what's really operating intrapsychically? So um, when we talk about the first half of life, it's not to be understood chronologically. Mm. It's wherever a person's still in complete service to or predominant service to whatever the stories were of his or her childhood, where those autonomous clusters of energy are, are still calling the shots. Mm. So, for example, I had a client once from Berlin, now deceased who had a very productive outer life, uh, and, and yet all of her life had been completely dominated by a father complex. And she only came into therapy when her husband died, to whom she had transferred 
the expectations that she once found satisfied through her father and, and so mm -hmm. forth. So you could say her second half of life began at age 65, 66, you see. Wow. Another person's life, it's when they lose their job or they go through that divorce or, or they hit a depression yeah. um, or, or they, they lose something significant in their life or they're dealing with the aging process. Yeah. And it's in those moments when one is obliged to question, but who am I apart from my history? Mm. Who am I apart from my resume? Mm. Who am I apart from my outer world that I've created, mm. including my friends and my commitments and, and careers and, and so forth? And that's the beginning of that journey. And the truth is some people will move through life without ever seriously raising those kinds of questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and I say that without judgment, I would simply say their life is on automatic pilot until something jars one enough yeah. to get one's attention. Why would you begin to question yeah, what, anything? What you're describing is what I often refer to as being kicked off the bus, as if you're, you don't oh. realize there is a bus, you don't realize you're on a bus. That's right. Something comes That's along right. and it kicks you off. And, and on, oh. what I like about the analogy of being on a bus is if the bus is moving even if it was moving slowly at say 30 i, I can't remember, america's miles per hour or kilometers an hour mm -hmm. um but if you get kicked off and it's moving it's gonna yeah. hurt even if it's yeah, only it going 30 even if it's going 30 kilometers an hour not 30 miles it's still gonna hurt that's right and so there is something about like you say whether it's it's almost as if there's a script running and mm -hmm. then something interrupts the script and you're kind of you're left looking back at the bus, going, "Yeah, but oh, I need to get back on that script." Only once you get back on the script, you're then mm -hmm. still going, "Hang on a second, it's not the same script I was on because the script has been interrupted." Some part of you goes, "I know there's a bus now." That's right. And, That's exactly and, right. And then yeah. it becomes, and then it becomes a jarring thing. As you're sort of saying this, you don't realize mm -hmm. the agitation is going on. You don't realize the inner script is running, but it. So, so what is it? What is it? <clears throat> I mean, see, I, I love let, let me just add to that. I want to underline that's an appropriate metaphor being on the bus because what's a bus? It's a collective structure. You're not mm. driving the bus, you're mm. being carried by that structure. Mm. And then you have to ask, all right, now I was being carried by something of which I knew not. Mm. That's the beginning of the invitation to say, all right, but what is my journey? How do I proceed with my life? And maybe I don't have to get back on the bus. Yeah. Well, th there's a, that's a perfect place to dive in then. So how does one even begin to answer that? I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, obviously I, I could start answering the question myself based on my own mm -hmm. circumstance. But as I said, mm -hmm. in this conversation already, I've almost started answering it and found myself dumped back off the bus again. So, so if we were to ask, ask the question as if I did not know the answer, as if I'm coming to this, uh, as if it's just happened, because it feels when it happens, it feels like it has, it feels like as if it's the first time, it feels like a shock to the system. That's right. So wh wh what's your kind of prescription mm -hmm. and that's, that's mm -hmm. a, maybe dumbs it down slightly but kind of where does a person start when they even because it because it's a shock to the system there's no getting away from it there's every part mm -hmm. of me and when i mm -hmm. work with my clients when i'm coaching them there's a kind of there's a disbelief there's a there's a there's mm -hmm. a grasping to hold on to what was there's a kind of a, a feeling of and i guess i'm relaying this for other people to kind of understand it there's a kind of a falling away there's a kind of <clears throat> Uh, it, it feels like a complete existential crisis, which, which even mm -hmm. if I bought, even if I took that big word away, it just feels as if who you, any mm -hmm. sense of this is state. It feels like being in an earthquake. It feels like the only thing you think is solid, which is the ground. Well, it's okay. Cause I've got the ground. Suddenly that's shaking. You suddenly go, or well, what do I do now? Like, even if, if this is moving, of course, where do I go? Sure. Well, you know, what you're describing is often allied with a sense of betrayal. <clears throat> I did the best I could given the instructions I had mm. or followed the roadmap that I had, whether I was conscious of that or not. Mm. Why is that not worked out? So that, that leads to a sense of betrayal. 
sense of confusion and disorientation as well. So let's pile on some more symptoms. Here Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's a and, lot of shame that comes with that as well. And, and, I, and I don't, and I don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know if I try and boil it down. Where does the shame come from or where do I, it, it, it's a kind of, it's a kind of, I thought I had this all sorted and then suddenly a feeling of, I don't know, it, it almost reduces me. And if I, if I make it personal, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping this is relatable to other people. It, it reduces me down to a sense of being, I thought I was an adult doing this thing. And I suddenly feel like I'm thrown back into feeling mm -hmm. like a, not even an infantile, I was about to say a juvenile, an infantile. I feel like I've been thrown back into this sense of, I'm a little boy in a man's world. <laughs> what well, on earth do I do? And that's what I love about how to really finally grow up as a lion. It's like, sure, sure. Yeah, you're pointing to something more fundamental than just finding meaning. It's like mm -hmm. you're pointing to how does one live their life? That's correct. And why would you have that feeling of such a regression except that? Um, to some degree, you are forced to go back to the drawing board because the mm. presumption was, I thought I had a roadmap, metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. See? Yeah. And now it appears the roadmap was applied to somebody else's territory, not, not mine, really. Yeah. Because the, the paradox here is we're meaning-seeking, meaning-creating animals, and we suffer disconnect from meaning. If something is right for you, you'll really experience the meaningfulness of it. Mm. And that supports you and sustains you, even through difficult times. It doesn't mm -hmm. spare us from conflict and suffering even, but you have that sense of purposefulness. Mm. But see, you can achieve all your goals and still not have that sense of true meaning or purpose that rises spontaneously out of that. Because mm. that's a decision being made above your pay grade. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that the ego decides. It's something that the self survives or they decides, or the, the, the soul survives, if you will. Um, one of the aspects of the midlife passage, because in every passage, something is dying and something is not yet appeared on the horizon. Mm. And it's a difficult in-between. Mm. And that difficult in-between is often where people enter therapy. Why mm. would you go talk to a stranger about your personal life unless all of your tools have proved ineffective at this mm. point? So not that everybody's in therapy, nor should they be, but I, that's often where I run into folks. And so what we always have to be asking here is, why has your psyche revolted? Why has it not supported you? Now, I'll be, since you shared, I will too. I'd achieved all of my goals in my life by the time I was 30, 31, 32, mm -hmm. And then hit a depression at midlife. And I had to ask myself a question. And, and yes, I felt shame because I was supposed to figure this out for myself. <laughs> yeah. um, secondly, I, I entered therapy for the first time, not thinking it's beginning the second half of life. Mm. Quite the contrary, it felt like a huge defeat of some kind of humiliation. Totally, yeah. And as a result of that, I ultimately traveled to Zurich to the Jung Institute. I was an academic in my early life and had, you know, just graduated with a PhD and a full time job as a professor when I was 27 years old. You know, then I started looking around saying, so what am I supposed to do next? You know, mm. and so, uh, you know, I didn't know that I was beginning the second half of life. When I went to Zurich, it was not to change my career and perspective on these things. It was really just sort of to deal with this depression and then move on, you know, mm. presumably to go back to the old drawing board, if you will, or the old uh, marching orders. Mm. But it led to a process of change and transformation. And I wound up in a quite different profession in a quite different way and, and, and so forth. But the point is simply, we always have to ask the question, not how quickly do I get rid of my problems here, my, my, my symptoms, if you will, but why have they come? Which is not a question we're used to asking. What is it that my own psyche is asking of me? Now I use that word psyche to refer to the totality of our being. It's the original word whose best translation into English is soul. What does the soul want of me? That's different from what the employer wants of me. That's different from what my ego wants of me. That's different from what my parent complexes want from me. What does the soul want from me? Because soul is the 
organ of meaning, if you will. That's what we refer to when we talk about the, the soul. And if I'm doing all the right things, why is the soul not cooperating? So mm. when I hit this depression, I had to face the fact that my psyche had autonomously withdrawn its approval and support from the agenda that I was placing it in. Yeah. And I was forced in time to say, well, I better start paying attention then to what it is that is wishing some form of expression and, and so forth. And frankly, for me, just to continue the thread for yeah. a moment, yeah. um, it had a lot to do with family of origin stuff that I'd conveniently buried and mm -hmm. thought was well behind me. And in fact, had led me, I think, to overemphasize as a compensation the life of the mind, which is what led me into academia, at the expense of the life of our emotional life. Mm. And both are part of us, of course. And, and there was a price being paid for that. That's why it had to revolt from inside. And um, it wasn't that I was lacking feeling. I was so defended against the magnitude of some of those feelings. And yes. That's something I had to come to terms with. Uh, that's, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, carry on. Sorry. I'm, well, I'm not. Well, yeah. Sure, sure. And, and that's how you begin to dialogue with your own psyche. Uh, remember the word psychotherapy comes from therapoion. It means to listen or attend to. Psyche is soul. So it's a whole different ball game when you use the literal meaning of psychotherapy. It doesn't mean you have to see a therapist, but you have to become more psychotherapeutic with your own life. Mm. Pay attention to and to attend to the expressions of the soul. Mm. Well, how does it speak? Well, for example, and this is very, this is basic 101, but we mm. forget it in our mm. A culture. I'm, 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 I'm wanting this. I'm, I'm coming. Sure. Yeah, bring it on. Well, first of all, we start with the feeling function. Hmm. Um, we don't choose feelings. Feelings happen autonomously. Hmm. The ego. Then, then they're experienced by the ego consciousness. When I say ego, I mean our our sense of who we are at any given moment. But that's hmm. only a, a thin wafer floating on a large sea, frankly. But but in those moments, we feel. Um, confronted by a, a feeling. Now we can anesthetize it, we can bury it, we can project it on someone else, we can ignore it, but we don't create it. Hmm. And a feeling is, listen to this, a qualitative analysis by the psyche as to how life is going, as seen by the psyche, not by my ego. Hmm. So I might have this perfect relationship or this terrific career but there's no supportive feeling for it over time, which begins to tell us we have a serious discrepancy here. Mm. Secondly, we have energy systems. Uh, when you're doing what's right for you, the energy is there, it supports you. It's called the flow at times. Mm. Um, we can mobilize energy, which we need to do to get up at two in the morning to feed the baby or work extra mm. hard to pay the bills. That's, that's appropriately relating to the concrete reality in which we find ourselves. But over time, if you keep mobilizing energy in service to the wrong goals, it leads to burnout, yep. uh, uh, boredom, yep. and ultimately yep. to depression, often to self-medication. Uh, mm. Thirdly, we have dreams. And of course, people are going to say, well, I don't dream or I don't remember my dreams. Sleep research has told us that we average six dreams per night on mm. a nightly basis, on an average. That's 42 dreams a week. No one remembers that many. But it's so clear that nature doesn't waste energy. It's, it's serving a purpose. And part of it, I think, is to process the magnitude of the stimuli that come to us at every given you know, 24 hours. And that's partly why this organism has to lie down and sleep to continue that processing, the restoration, not only of muscle tissue, but of psychological capacity, too. Mm. But more importantly, if we pay attention to our dreams over time, we begin to see there, there are patterns there. There yeah. are presences. There are voices. Yeah. Uh, and then you begin to realize something like, holy cow, right? There's something in me that's trying to communicate with me. Mm. It has a marvelous synthetic imagination because they can bring together someone that you knew in childhood, 
mm-hmm. from a television character, some fictive presence that only you know about, mm-hmm. and they're suddenly in the same dream. And, and you have to ask, what's going on? That's sort of crazy as we mm-hmm. see it from conscious standpoints. But in reality, there's always some meaning there that central mm-hmm. casting has brought these characters together in order to, um, to, to communicate some kind of, um, I don't want to say message, but some kind of um, sort of bid for conversation, if you will. Mm. And over time, because we don't realize the degree to which we traded our personal authority to the world around us in childhood, we had to, there was no choice mm. but to do that. So as people begin to realize, you know, there's something in me that knows me better than I know me, that is commenting on my life, that is seemingly trying to communicate with me, wouldn't it make sense to pay attention to that, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, most therapists are not trained to work with dreams, so they're, they're mm-hmm. as mystified as anybody else. So when that bell is rung and you start really understanding what it means, then you start looking to the question of, well, but maybe that's really where my truth is to be found rather than mm-hmm. simply different adaptations to the world outside of me. I can still be adapting to something that's wrong for me. Mm. So then, then you see that issue of personal authority start shifting from the environment back within yourself. And I would say in the second half of life, the biggest task is the recovery of personal authority meaning by that in any given moment inside of us there is this extraordinary traffic and outside of us is the cacophony of claims upon us it's mm. busier than heathrow at you know rush hour yeah and um how do you sort through that traffic and it is sorting and sifting sorting and sifting over time until you begin to discern the voice that's coming from your own depths. Mm. And then fourthly, you see, is this issue that's most elusive of all, and that's meaning. Mm. If what takes you in another direction is meaningful, then you'll feel the support of that. Now, Mm. for example, when I was young, I would have never imagined that I would be spending my life listening to people's problems all day. It's not a very attractive profession when you describe it that way. Um, And yet, here I am at 81 years old, um, greatly privileged, greatly honored to be able to share people's journey Mm. and to be able to be present with them as they go through these passages of various kinds. Mm. You know, people come with different presenting issues, different life contexts, different histories. But what they have in common is the process we're describing here. It's about recovering a sense of personal authority. And that's not done overnight. That that becomes the project of the entire second half of life. Mm. Another way of putting this is you you have to report to the world around you in the first half. And Mm. ego building is part of that. So you become a functioning adult. Mm. Second half of life, you have to report to your own soul, not in withdrawal from the world, but in a sense, soliciting a different kind of conversation with a different authority. I love what you're saying. I love yeah, no, saying. everybody's yeah. life, that's going to take a different form. There's no yeah. formula for that, but I'm talking about a general process. Yeah. I, I, I love what you're saying about, <clears throat> there's a, there's a, there's a, well, I'm just, I'm going to literally relay back what you just said, but what I just, I'm hearing that, <clears throat> The first half, your real, your 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 sense of authority that you're uh, reporting into uh, a parents, really fundamentally, whether you're still doing it come mm-hmm. 35, 65, whatever, or, or or you're just reporting back into the script that is kind mm-hmm. of how you feel as if you should be living your life, which you're probably unaware of, and That's then right. and then there's an erosion, or as we said before, getting kicked off the bus, or something interrupts the script you then realize that actually you're reporting into the arguably speaking the wrong place that that that, that you're that actually the only place really uh you discover that you need to report into is to yourself to your to right. and not even to your I, it, 
yourself. I mean, I, I love it when someone breaks the word yourself or myself down. So, so the, the word self sits on its own with a capital S. That's a capital and, S. And, 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 and like you're sort of saying, you know, sort of what does the soul want from me? It's like, well, suddenly you realize, oh, hang on a second. Because <laughs> like, again, these things get banded around kind of, kind of quite easily as if, uh, what do I want or, or, or the idea of a soul or a, a, a uh -huh. but, but in actual fact, what you're pointing to is you know, there's, there's a fundamental realization that happens that needs to happen. A kind of, and, and in and of itself, it's kind of like you realize, and I'm, I guess I'm in that place where I, I thought I was in tune. I thought I'd started tuning in and I've suddenly realized now that, and, and as you said, the, the, the second half of life, it becomes, it's not a case of you just flip a switch and you're suddenly into right. a different, com you're suddenly there. It's almost as if, it's almost as if you've got to start again. You've, 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 mm -hmm. you've, you've, in the same way, you've, I've taken 43, 43 years to report into one mm -hmm. form That's of authority. Right. I'm suddenly then going, oh, right, okay. <laughs> like, like, mm -hmm. And there's no one else to blame or turn to or, 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 mm -hmm. or, or, or even understand what myself wants. That's right. That's right. Well, and no matter whatever happened to you, uh, that's not who you are. Who you are is wanting is what is wanting to be expressed through you in mm. the world. See, there's a difference between vocation as a human being, vocatus, vocal to be called, and a job. You know, mm. if you align your job with your vocation, terrific. But the point is, our ultimate vocation is to become whatever this project is of a human being that was invested by divinity or by nature, whichever metaphor you prefer, mm -hmm. that's what we're ultimately to serve. That's not selfish. That's mm -hmm. not self-absorbed. Maybe some of your viewers will be thinking, well, it sounds pretty wrapped up in yourself, doesn't it? Well, no. What this is, it's quite the contrary. This will require your ego surrendering to something that's more important than your ego's comfort. Most of the people in history that we would admire were people who in, often had very difficult lives, very painful mm. lives. Mm. We admire them because they, they held to something that was true for them. Mm. And in so doing, they became exemplary for others in some mm. way. Mm. So it's not about being comfortable. Right? Mm. I have scandalized a few people when saying, the goal of life is not to be happy. It's to be living in a meaningful way. Mm. Now, happiness, nothing wrong with happiness. Happiness as a goal is, is forever elusive. It's contextual. Mm. It's ephemeral. And if you keep after it, it becomes addictive. And, and then it owns you and mm. rather than the other way around. But if you are living in a way that's consistent with what is wishing uh, value within you, then from time to time, you'll be flooded with happiness. In other words, I wouldn't describe my profession as making me happy. And yet I feel so enriched by, by this you know, privilege, but that makes me happy. There's a difference there, you know? And it's kind of like writing. I, I just finished last night the 18th book and wow. I'm, I'm going to proofread it and send it off and so forth. And you know, people think, oh, that must be easy for you. No, no. I, I, I write in the evening after dinner with my wife when I might turn on the telly or read a good book. I go back to work because something in me wishes expression. In other words, something's using me. Mm. I, I trust in a, in a, a, a constructive way mm. that I feel is important to serve, to be the vehicle for that. Mm. You know? I'm not doing it to make money. You know, it doesn't make that much money, but I'm not doing it for that reason. Mm. I, I, I'm doing it because, as I've said, if this is important for me and I think it's valuable and I see it with other people, why not share it? That's the purpose of these books. Yeah. And so can I, can I and, and I'm conscious of time, not that we've got a short amount of time right now in this moment, but but to really just dig deep into the kind of mm -hmm. <clears throat> the 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 kind of get under the hood as it were mm -hmm. uh so to someone finds themselves uh, i could say yeah i find myself uh, okay feeling like okay 
I'm wanting to find that renewed purpose, meaning kind of to get from where one has lost their kind of sense of <clears throat> purpose, meaning sense of direction, meaningful direction, uh-huh. to a point where, I mean, you're now on your 18th book, and I'm not suggesting that the first book was the best book you've ever written and you were completely, you know, um, it was your most expressive version of your soul. I'm not so, so you know, maybe maybe over time it's become more so. But how does one even start that journey? And I know, you know, it, there's, there's an obvious thing, well, we need to start the conversation within. But as you've already pointed out, the kind of the noise within, when you've right. not, it's not like, oh, okay, I'll switch that, I'll switch that on, I'll go and have that conversation. Oh, and it's not as if suddenly you become aware of what job you should be doing. And it's not suddenly like you become aware of what your vocation ought to be. Your, That's right. So, so, so what does it, what does it look like when someone starts, when someone, as, as uh-huh. usually, you know, you kicked off the bus, where does one start? Where does even one begin to start making sense and and and, sure. and stop and stop and even if it's not stop, but kind of find some ground, stable ground on which to stand up from and actually move forward in some kind of meaningful way? Right. Sure. Well, I'd like to suggest several, if you will, sentences that I've mm. mentioned in books that I think could be helpful. Anytime you have a decision to make, you get to those junctures where you have to decide between this or that. You ask a basic question of yourself. Mm. Will this path enlarge me or diminish me? Mm. Now, usually, you know the answer to that question pretty quickly. And if you don't, you keep asking it and it will reveal itself. Now, what do we mean by diminish? Well, I really want to do this with my life, but, you know, I'd be out there on the edge by myself. I, I, it's too big a risk for me to take, all right? Or, you know, people wouldn't understand. Um, or, or somebody might laugh at me. You know, that, then, you know, those are the diminishing voices in your psyche mm-hmm. that are all, they're there in all of us, all of us. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask, first of all, does this enlarge me in a sense is going to, pull on me and test me and stretch me. That's the path of growth. Mm. So what if it's scary for you, right? In life, you have to choose between anxiety and depression. Anxiety is when you're moving forward into the unknown. Mm. Depression's when you're stuck and you can't do anything, you see. Mm. Another question, as I mentioned, is look at your patterns, the ones that you find in particular are counterproductive to you? Why do I always wind up in the same kind of relationship? Or Mm. why is, if I've done the right things, this is not coming back to me? And then say, all right, what are the, since we don't know about the unconscious, but it, we enact it in literalizations of the inner premise. Mm. If I can take those patterns and work backwards and say, now what kind of premise could have been going on inside of me? And you began to realize you have a certain skill for sorting that out very quickly mm. and, and to be able to see, all right, th- that was an old place where I was conflict avoidant again. Mm. Well, it's not a federal crime to be conflict avoidant, but then if you're going to avoid conflict, you're going to wind up doing nothing with your life. Exactly. See? So, so there's, the, there's the challenge, mm. you see, or that was an old codependent place in me, or that's where my insecurity grabbed hold of me one more time. Well, at least now you know the enemy. Mm. The enemy is not out there. The enemy is those clusters of energy, which we all have, mind you, mm. inside of, of us. And, and then you have to say of a certain behavior, of any behavior, where did that come from in me, really? Mm. And you have to add the word really, because the first response will be the rationalization, justification. Well, I did this because you did that, or you failed to do that, or I did this because I was under pressure at the time, or whatever. That's the rationalization. But where where did it really come from in your history? You know, when is a a good thing even um, the enemy of a better thing, you see? So these are very basic questions any of us can ask of ourselves. And the moment you do that, you're, you're being psychotherapeutic, you know, you're mm. paying attention. 
you're having a conversation with your mm. own psyche. Mm. And that has to be the norm for the rest of your journey, because it's mm. only there that you'll be able to separate all that history and all of those conditioned reflexes and all those messages, mm. as well as the realistic demands that life makes upon us, like pay your bills and be faithful to a relationship and that mm. sort of thing. Mm. When you factor those in, no wonder it's complicated, mm. but then it's your life that yes. matters. And if you're not going to take responsibility for it, who is? Mm. Mm. So growing up means I am responsible, at least after a certain phase of my life, I am responsible for what spills into the world through me. Yep. And, and that sounds so simplistic, but you'd be surprised how often people will run from that kind of accountability. If I'm responsible, then I'm also responsible for confronting it and for yeah. changing it. You see, yeah. that's the point. And, and, and Jung said once in a letter in the early 1950s, he said, the opus of individuation or personal growth consists of three parts. And psychology can only help with the first part, mm -hmm. which is to give insight. Mm -hmm. The second, and then he said, the second and third speak to the moral um, nature of that individual. Second is courage you will have to face something that you find scary or intimidating mm. because what our functioning personality is at midlife is typically a series of reflexive defenses against whatever we find frightening. And that's how we protect ourselves. But then there's a, there's a problem. In time, you realize my protections now also are constrictions. Yeah. And that's significant. Yeah. And thirdly, he said, is endurance. Stick it out over time. And that's how you move to a different place. Mm -hmm. You can't walk into this process, say, well, I'd like to have this solved by five this afternoon, if you don't mind. Well, it's like you have to work at it maybe for years until yeah. you realize you're in a different place now than you used to be. Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone earlier this morning who was a, a woman whose first presenting issues was utter lack of self-worth mm. and constantly worried about what people were saying about her out there and constantly yeah. thinking everybody's life was so much better put together than hers and just hoping to get some kind of recognition by somebody out there. And, and I pointed out to her today, just a few hours ago, I, I, I said, you notice the dream you just had and the decision you made in your life here? Thinking about where we started today, those were decisions. Those were images of personal empowerment. And how did you get here? By some steady work. And that work has brought you to lay claim. In other words, this is a person who now, I believe, has a sense of personal authority that was distributed to the public out there, there to four. No wonder she was at the mercy of what people thought about her. It's mm -hmm. kind of like basing your sense of well-being on tomorrow's weather. Yep, you know, yep. good luck with that. Yep, so yep. the difference is today she she is operating out of a deeper center, you know. Mm. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting as you just said you were speaking to her. I was thinking, well, you could have been having a conversation with me earlier on that basis and everything you just said. Mm -hmm. so how, it's, on that basis, how does one so I've got Again, as with all these conversations I have with different people, and my brain goes off in different directions, I think I want to ask nine, nine questions at once. Okay. Um, just supposing this, so 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 I start having that conversation with myself, and and go back to the point the letter you just said that that Jung wrote back in the 1950s, say, and mm -hmm. about the sort of courage and I think you said persistence, was it? Uh, endurance. Yeah. Endurance. That was it. Yeah. Persistence. Yeah. <clears throat> there is a fine line isn't there because there's something about so i found myself putting myself out there on a line of almost continuous anxiety it's almost to the point where it's become a little bit of a burnout and the and the and, and the sense of boredom has kicked in because it's almost like okay this needs to let up now. It's, just, it's almost like it's it's almost like an, there's there's a there's a it feels like there's a war going on inside me. It feels yes. as if there's 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 definitely the old part of me that's wanting to hold on, but very much as you said, it's 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 
the protectors are kind of protecting and restricting at exactly the same time. That's and there's right. that part of me saying, okay, I really need to break out of this right now. And I've been, I've been breaking out only, only to find myself in a place where it feels as if I've burnt out again. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of going, that's no lack of courage per se, albeit maybe not courage in, in, in the right areas. You know, there's, there's a part of me thinking, am I even asking myself the right questions? There's a sort of, I don't even know what the question I'm asking here, rather than maybe I'm just reflecting on something you've just said, but there's definitely a, when you're in that middle passage, I mean, I've got one of your other books here and I think it sums the, it sums up perfectly by the name from misery to meaning. I mean, when you're in that middle passage, Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's not. We sort of say that the script gets interrupted as if it's just like bang, and then you're into a different. But, mm-hmm. but in actual fact, there's the, the breaking down of those protectors, the kind of the, the 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 ripping up of the script, the realization the script's even there. That's not a quick process. No. No. It, 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 yeah. Well, one of the things you have to ask, one has to ask, is what do I really care about? It sounds so such a simple-minded question, but you know, we often don't ask that question in a very mm-hmm. radical way, meaning mm-hmm. going to the root of the issue. What do you really care about? Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Luther King says you, you don't really live your life until you know what you're willing to die for because you're not willing to live that value, you see. Mm-hmm. So what is it you really care about? Mm-hmm. And are you serving that in an honest way in your mm-hmm. life at this point? And, and, and then have to deal with whatever answer comes up because mm-hmm. that's part of what the agenda for, for change will be, mm-hmm. you know. A- another issue that we come to frequently are what I'll call stuck points. Mm-hmm. We all have stuck points in our lives and, and that's what often brings people into work with a therapist uh, to try to get around something. And, you know, I have a way of saying that it's not about what it's about, you know, the stuck points, not usually what it's about. It's about something else. Mm. Why do we stay stuck in certain key areas of our life when um, we've worked so hard from an ego standpoint to get unstuck with Mm. resolution and so forth. And um, usually it's because, and bear with me here metaphorically, Mm. it's as if there's an invisible filament that goes down from conscious life into your psychological basement. And down there is a pool of archaic anxiety. Mm. When you push hard against this thing, it's like the circuitry is, is activated. The electricity goes down there and suddenly you're flooded with anxiety, whether you're aware of it or not. And it's that that shuts you down, keeps you stuck. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to break through things. Yeah. Now, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, that anxiety is historic anxiety. For example, Mm. if I really set off in this direction, I'll lose the love, approval, and understanding of the people that matter in my life. Mm. Well, you know, as a child, you would have been highly at risk for that happening, or at least you feared you were. It's unlikely to happen in reality. Most Mm. people are far more generous than that. But let's say that it did. Then maybe you're in the wrong relationships, as a matter of fact. Yeah. You have to say, is is that going to keep me locked in here? Mm. Because what's grown up in the meantime is an adult who is far more resilient, far more capable of dealing with the issues that the child could not. Mm. Now, in the same way, people get stuck in habits that are their, quote, treatment plans for whatever their distresses are. So it's like, how do I stop eating too much or drinking too much or doing too much of this or that? Well, if I stop that, what will be there for me in the darkness? What will give me comfort or release Mm -hmm. from the struggle? Those are adult questions to ask. Yeah. And and. That's and because we're not asking those adult questions, we'll stay stuck, you see. Yeah. And it and it presupposes that the adult that you also are is not capable of going through these things. Um, because ultimately, ultimately, all of the stuck places in our life are only solved by going through something. They don't just magically disappear. That, that yeah. is the fantasy of childhood. Yeah. 
Well, you've hit, you've you've just said a couple of things there that just really light up straight away. One is you're alluding to the fact, <clears throat> you, you said it as much directly, that that we are adults. It, it, uh-huh. it, you, you're not sort of saying, I mean, although we're sort of saying how to really finally grow up, it's almost like you're pointing to, no, you already are grown up, but That's the right. kind of the psychology, you've, you, 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 you're not, you're not realizing, you're not realizing that you're already grown up and that you're reverting, I guess, back to what you were saying before, the, the sort of sense of authority is pointing to something that's not where you are in the here and now. And the, and the, and the, I'm loving what you're saying about the fact to, to get unstuck, to get through. So you have to go through it. There, there's no, it's not going to, I, I think there's definitely a part of me that, 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 and I, I don't think I'm alone in this, but it's worth just saying it that does hope for it all just to magically go away. If I just sit here and do X, Y, and Z, I mean, the amount of people who've said to me, well, just rest a little while and it'll all go away. And I'm like, I've done that. And then people say to me, this too shall pass. If one more person says that to me, I think I'm going to punch them (laughs) in the nose. Because Mm -hmm. this too doesn't pass so long as I stay in this place where... True. Uh Because I I, I think that part of me still goes back to that, as you said, the archaic kind of reservoir of anxiety. Uh That's right. Yeah. And look, anxiety itself is just part of the human condition. I know people that are anxious because they're anxious or depressed because they're (laughs) depressed. These are things that are normal, natural, and they come to us. The real question always is, and what does that make you do? Mm. Or what is that keeping you from doing with your life? There's Mm. where your adult responsibility has to kick in. Mm. If I realize my anxiety is keeping me from leaving this job that's so stultifying and driving me crazy, and maybe take financial risks and career risks. Well, all right, now, now you know what the enemy is. It, it's the old anxiety. Mm. Um, and, and to realize that when I ask the question, what does this make me do or keep me from doing? There's where my adult um, accountability is. Mm. And that's what it means to be an adult is to be accountable and then to act on what you discern to be the issue at hand or the, the task that you face. So it's when you say accountable, accountable to who? To yourself? To your, to your own soul, yes. Yeah, to your yes. soul, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. And underneath this is a very radical thought, and that is you really are a self-governing system but again, when we were tiny, vulnerable, and dependent, that had to get traded for all the thousand, you know, channelings and prohibitions and adaptations that were necessary. And the self-governing system is what produces our psychopathology. You know, it expresses its disfavor. Um, again, the etymology of psychopathology means literally the expression of the suffering of the soul which is a whole different reading of what that means. Mm. Rather than condemn it, we have to say, oh boy, then I need to pay attention to that. Mm. That's my soul speaking. I better pay attention to that, whatever that means, and figure it out and address that. And that's how we get unstuck and we grow and we move forward. Um, In 1863, the American poet Emily Dickinson once said, the sailor cannot see the north, but knows the needle can. And it was her metaphor for recognizing the erosion of institutional authorities, just as Matthew Arnold was realizing that his world was different from his father, Thomas Arnold, in just a number of decades because of enormous social and other changes, introduction of Darwinism and, and, and the scholars producing critiques of institutional traditions and so forth. And so uh, she says, essentially, um, in the times to come, you're going to need to have a compass. Mm. Do you know that you have a compass within? Mm. If you do, it'll tell you true north, but you need to know you have it, you need to trust it. So I can say to you in complete conviction, something I couldn't have said decades ago, and I don't take this for granted, when I need to know what to do about something, when I need, whether it's something mundane, like how to start an essay or something like mm. that, or how to start a talk or a life choice, I just metaphorically sort of put it in there. 
Mm. And I have this fantasy of a bunch of little people running around combing through all the files in there. And they always get back to me, not on my ego schedule. I want the report by five this afternoon. Mm. But they get back to me three days from now while I'm driving and distracted and something I suddenly see, or I have a dream mm. tomorrow morning. Or even a week from now, I wake at three in the morning, the hour of the wolf, and there it is. It's very clear, you see. Mm. Now, what's going on there? Something inside, for lack of better terms here, mm. knows what's right for you. Mm. If I can learn to wait upon that, trust that dialogue with it, in time, it'll tell me what's right for me. And if I then mobilize the energy and courage to live that, um, I'll, I'll be supported by something mm. with it, as opposed to um, um, be undermined by it, which is what mm. happens to us in, in these moments of crisis. You're pointing to something really fundamental and juicy and cathartic and mm -hmm. <laughs> relieving and what you're saying, and I, conscious of time, I do, I do want to wrap up for, you, for your own sake more than anyone's, because um, I could carry on talking to you for hours. Um, uh, but you're, you're, you're pointing to this idea that it, if one finds themselves in a place where the whole ground is shaking underneath them, mm -hmm. that, that you're pointing to a place that it you having been someone that was in that place, having come through it, having helped countless other people come through it, there's a, there's a part of you saying that part of me can rest easy in the knowledge that something inside of me yes. knows what is good for me. Something inside of me knows what true North is. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's not only about paying attention, but about asking the questions. And I think something you said in there again, which I think is really important for myself, but as much for anyone else in asking the questions, it's not necessarily going to get an immediate response. That's right. But that, but that if you can ask the right question and, and leave enough space for it to brew for want of a better word, mm -hmm. you know, sort of right. like making a good cup of tea in this country or mm -hmm. right. whatever it may be, that, that, that it will, that it will show itself to you that it'll 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 come to pass but you've got to be willing to a ask the question b have the patience c uh -huh. tune in and, and and see the messages and and, and d then act upon them uh -huh. even if it's just taking one or two steps in the direction of that's very well summarized brian really because uh, our ego as i said once results this moment mm. But we have to attend to the psyche's process and say, what is right for me will emerge. And I have to hold that tension of ambiguity, mm. which our ego hates. We hate ambiguity. We prefer clarity. But hold that ambiguity until what is right for me emerges in that situation. Mm. Jung said once in speaking of conflicts, major decisions in one's life, where no matter what you do, it's going to be wrong at some level or costly at some level. Mm. And, and any binary situation has a yes or no to it. But he said, in those moments, then you have to say, what's the third here? And the third would be the question, what is the meaning of this particular issue in this person's developmental life? What is going to oblige him or her to either grow or regress here. Mm. For example, in a relationship or a career situation, if old fears, which we always have, are calling the shots, then you realize where that's coming from. And that's in service to history, not to the present or to a future. Mm. And if on the other hand, one, one feels called to the next step of the journey, if you will, then, then serving that is really serving life. It's not serving mm. your comfort zone. Mm. Comfort zone is usually found in the same old, same old, but that's mm. also the same thing that makes one miserable. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I, if I were to put into practical terms my summary and what you, how you've just reflected back, supposing, let's, let's take me, 
I'm not saying this is literally what I'm going to do, but it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So I find myself in a place where I'm no longer doing a lot of what I used to love doing, which is coaching. I've kind of found myself in no man's land where I'm not really moving forward with the project, this We Won't Die Wandering project in nearly the same gusto I had before. And I could look at a number of different reasons why there might be, but I think there's there's part of me that's almost like wanting to wanting the answer to just come to me, but also for it all to resolve itself and need to know. So I'm, I'm wondering if a, a practical application, and I think this is what I'm always looking for when I'm ch- talking to people, there's one thing of theory, and then there's like, well, how do, I, how do I literally pick this up and work with it? There's a kind of an aspect of, you know what, if in the meantime, in the not knowing, I've been not really doing it, I'm going to have, I've been, I've, I've been keep minding my time, but it's not necessarily overly productively. And I've not neither been really resting either. The ego hasn't let me do that one bit. Um, there's an aspect of, well, I could just change the circumstance. I could go and get myself a job, but there's that part of me saying, well, I don't know what job to get, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the next job I get has to have meaning. It could be that that's just an activity a container within which uh-huh. I'm doing something that's in service of, of something. It could be charitable work. It could be whatever, but within that space to still ask myself the question, because I'm, I'm then I'm, I'm at least then I'm at least then taking responsibility and being accountable. But at the same time, without knowing the answers of uh-huh. what the soul wants, I'm changing the circumstances, changing the conditions, but at least staying open and asking myself the question at the same time. Sure, because what you're touching on here is you keep asking the questions, the large questions. Mm. What is what is my next developmental stage in this process? Where is life calling me to grow rather mm. than stay comfortable? Let's say. Love that. Where's life um, asking me to grow? Yeah. Where 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 should where am I to serve what wants to enter the world through me? Rather than what's my comfort zone? What wants to enter the world through me? That's a different animal. Say that again. What wants to enter the world through me? What wants see? to uh, what what wants sorry. to enter the world through me? Ah, what wants to enter the world through me? In other words, your your capacities, your talents, your enthusiasms. That's why I said I would have never expected that I would wind up in the career I'm in. It would have been something not attractive to the ego state. Yeah. Um, but it it is attractive to the soul because the soul is weighed in on this yeah so um in the meantime you have to you know put the pieces together sufficient to pay your bills and to attend to legitimate claims from your relationships and so forth while always keeping the big questions alive because Mm. big questions give you a larger life and small questions give you a small life yeah yeah, and I think that's isn't that interesting. Like we, 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 I think people, I can see it not just of myself, but in encounters that you see in society, people are asking so often, asking the small questions. Yes. yes. How do I stay comfortable? How do I make this go away? How do I, how do I make myself happy? Even you could argue is a small question because it's an it's an immediate it's an mm-hmm. there's an immediacy to it, isn't there? Yes, and the question is what really matters to me and what means something to me. And that's a, a good place to start uh, uh, looking looking around and seeing what possibilities there are in that direction. Yeah. Okay, so in the interest of time, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. If I were going to, I've always asked the same question to, to anybody who comes on. Um, we've, we've obviously, we've, we've summarized a lot come the end there anyway. But if you were, if you were to, given the work that you do, given everything we've been discussing is kind of, how people meet you in this world so you you are you are helping people find meaning in the second half of life that is what you do that is that is if if you if someone was to walk away with one thing if someone if there was one idea maybe you've already said it maybe you haven't but you've want to kind of like tie a bow and everything we've said what is it you'd want someone to kind of walk away with from if they were listening in and they were kind of going okay i'm in that place how do I find meaning in the second half of life? What is it you'd want someone to know? What is the one thing? Well, I would say, again, there's something in you that knows you better than you, and you mm. have to attain some kind of dialogue with that, or you'll be listening just to the noisiest voice in your environment, which is how most mm. people get into trouble. 
And very briefly, in the ancient world, they perceived there was a difference between fate and destiny. Fate's what happens to us, what, what givens we have, what family of origin, what genetics, what time and place, all those factors are shaping factors. Destiny, though, was what the gods intended. Mm. And, and there you are as a human being, right between those two force fields. Do you stay a prisoner of fate? Do you keep serving it? Or do you in some way open up to and serve the destiny that is wishing expression in the world through you? And that's not about the ego, but one's ego comforts are superseded by a sense of purpose and, and meaning, which arises out of that. We don't create that. That's an experience that comes out of the compatibility with our choices in the world and our inner reality. Mm. So if I was to just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing that as, <laughs> that, that there's another, there's another you, whoever you think you are, there's another you that really has a, a, a higher, yeah. higher mm -hmm. meaning, purpose, desire, direction, destiny for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and that whether it is it is you or whether it's it's life wanting to be expressed through you there's right. that th there is a greater destiny available to you if only you mm -hmm. were to attend be willing to attend to the questions and the answers that come forth right you put it very succinctly he said we all walk in shoes too small for us so you step into big boy or big girl shoes and you're living more your journey rather than just living reactively. Mm. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I'm going to press, I'm going to stop recording in two seconds and then you and I will just stay on just to say goodbyes. Um, but if anyone wants to kind of hunt you down, find out more about you, obviously you've, you've, you said you've got, 17 books in publication already and the 18th one on the way so they can find you in kind of amazon and various different places that's online. the best place that's the best place to look i'm i'm just too busy i i can't take any more people you know because i i'm not able to take any more patients i'm just filled and I, yeah. i'm jammed and you and i had to wait a long time even for me to be available so yeah um i i would say read the books and see if they make sense of some aspect of your life if they do i'm grateful and if they yeah. don't read somebody else <laughs> uh, out of curiosity who else might you recommend that other people look to who do you think who else is a good commentator on this kind of passage well i i happen to favor the unions above everybody else because i think they they understand as i've been saying over and over you know the most central important issue of our life is not being well adjusted what if the world's crazy and you're adjusting to it it's to <laughs> live in a way that's authentic for you and uh, mm. you, you don't do that by just adapting to the world you, you you have to find something else that is a source of uh you know internal guidance for you your your own inner compass to use um, emily dickinson's phrase yeah okay perfect thank you very much uh i said I'll, I'll i'll press stop recording now thank you everybody for listening uh and i'm sure we'll be back again some point in the future i don't think this will be my last but i'm it's obviously been a while so thank you everybody i'll speak to you soon If you've enjoyed this episode of the We Won't Die Wandering podcast and want to find out more about all that I advocate and are interested in the life club I'm trying to build and all the coaching I provide, then visit wewontdiewandering.com and explore all that I offer and events I'll be running and sign yourself up for news and insights delivered fresh into your inbox as they happen, including news of new podcast episodes as they get recorded and released. Wake up, don't die wandering. You've got this. We've got this. Let's do this. Thank you for listening. Till next time, go well.